Welcome, fellow brave believers. This is Kingdom Cast here in Kingdom in Context. I'm Sean Griffin. Thanks for joining us tonight. This is the podcast where we seek knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of His Word and this world so we can better relate His Word to this world. Thanks for joining me, and I'm excited about tonight. If you haven't already, I want everyone to uh, please consider running over to our new channel, Kingdom Cast. It's a uh, it should the link should be in the description of this video below and you can subscribe there because that is a the channel that I'm going to have dedicated to this podcast that YouTube according to their parameters they don't let you live stream from a new channel until it has at least 1000 subscribers so uh, if you would go while this is still playing if you you're welcome to go to kingdom cast and uh, I've even got the link in my recommended channels on my on my YouTube channel here and you can actually subscribe directly from there without even leaving the broadcast so thanks for joining us tonight is uh, a lot of fun where we talk about why pastors won't talk about hebrews 414 but first i also want to introduce to everyone a quick little let me go to it real quick i want i want you guys to um go over to a new channel that we started last week it's called new jerusalem media and this is actually a, a side venture where we're actually going to be covering news from a believer's perspective and let me go and I'll screen share with it real quick so you can see one of the one um, what it looks like here. Here we go. So this is New Jerusalem Media. Okay, this is something that we created. We have a, a social media presence, but we have actual new short news articles that we're covering, unique stories that either get buried. Um, with mainstream news because they're just trying to follow an agenda or these are stories that were overlooked um, or some of them that are covered, but at the same time, it's not covered from a believer's perspective. So go help us out. Go subscribe to this channel as well. We're trying to grow this on the side so we can have a, a unique presence in uh, the market of dis of information trying to get out there to people amongst all the disinformation. So uh, just right, right now and tonight, one second right now let's see here I'll show you a little bit about what this is like NASA receives 60 million from coronavirus stimulus bill few Americans heard how the National Aeronautics and Space Administration was included in the late March stimulus bill signed by President Donald Trump, receiving a substantial $60 million in what was considered a bailout. We did jujitsu on it. It went from a corporate-first proposal that the Republicans put forth in the Senate to a worker-first, Democratic workers-first legislation, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said. But why? Conservative news hosts and union leaders voiced their disagreement with the unrelated insertion to the bill. While the stimulus was intended to address the financial strain to American families, certain legislators felt NASA needed to be bailed out due to mission setbacks. Even though the agency already receives $22.6 billion annually allotted from the U.S. budget and isn't a retail store dependent on monthly revenue from the public. Was this legislative move good or bad? Tell us what you think. For this and other news, visit www.NewJerusalemMedia.com and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, so that is New Jerusalem Media, guys. This is uh, this is something that we're excited about. This is unique because not only have we we're trying to get a, a separate podcast donated, to, you know, just to Kingdom 
kingdom cast these these podcasts but and have a separate channel just for that but also we started a completely side venture with new jerusalem media we want to bring news information that's that's relevant that's important for us to know and um in the beginning it's basically just me but it's going to grow over time as we develop people that want to contribute to it and help out with it um to get to a point where we can actually have our own uh, media source that is bringing us news that that we want to actually hear and listen to instead of all the the stuff that's constantly thrown at us that's just regurgitated over and over so you guys go check it out and consider and subscribe to that if you will and tonight i'm excited because hebrews 414 this is a this is a unique passage okay that we're going to be talking about and just to just to preface the passage real quick let's look at let's look at this i'll bring this up for us i'll bring this up for us but before i do i just want to thank everyone uh, for being here and i just want to give a quick shout out and just say hello to uh miss vicky lott is here david shear is here crazy taco you're back cali j my residence welcome back let me see here um james 122 tim with a russian last name i can't pronounce thanks for joining us back brother thanks for getting back into into the podcast with us and also we just always want to um thank everybody for their continued support to us um i just want to give a shout out to all my patreon members and uh thank you for subscribing to uh the podcast but if you're this is your first time watching thanks for subscribing to both kingdom portion or excuse me kingdom in context this main channel as well as kingdom cast our side channel and then the new jerusalem media that way you can uh, stay informed in a wide variety of ways so let me just change this real quick um but everyone hopefully last night it was a little little bit longer than what we're going to go on average because it was kind of our first episode of doing this podcast so tonight's gonna be a little bit shorter a little more brief um but what we're going to be doing tonight is looking at a unique unique scriptures and why some pastors will not actually address the contents of these scriptures now they'll read them don't get me wrong but to actually address the the unique concepts within the scriptures that's that's the part that we're you know we we want to focus on tonight so people can have a better understanding of the words that make up the verse to get to the context the definitions so that it really does matter to you and it's not just something that you are um it's not it's not your traditional answer that you've heard and actually i'm going to play one for you how uh, a pastor actually tries to talk about it a little bit he mentions the verse but he skips right over some really important things we're going to be talking about the things he skips right over even though he's you know may, may god bless the gentleman i'm about to play he's very uh passionate you know he's, he's doing what god's called him to do but like we see so many so often in so many other churches they just ignore some of the unique words in the verses they're they're talking about and i feel as this guy i've shared the sentiment that i'm about to play with this gentleman that he actually um he feels that the majority of people would would better connect with the father and would better understand his word and the priesthood of yeshua if they got this verse and i would love to pull this pastor aside and say do you get this verse <laughs> because there's some things that you're not touching on in this verse so we're going to look at that and let's uh let's just read the reverse real quick it says therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may re receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in time of need. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So give me just one second and I will cue this up for us to look at. All right, guys. So this is a gentleman uh, named David Guzek, I believe. He's going to be talking about this exact verse. Confidence should make the person who has felt like giving up say, I don't feel like giving up. Now, you know, I play all this out in a very real world way. I think of myself sitting across a table over a cup of coffee with somebody and we're sort of discussing this. And that person says to me, you know, I just feel like giving up. You know, I heard this thing and it makes me doubt this about Christianity or I'm just so discouraged. And maybe, they, you know, people are rarely this honest, but let's just pretend somebody was this honest. Um, I find the moral requirements of Christianity to be so strenuous. I don't know if I can live up to it. I tell you, I would feel like if I died, died and went to heaven if somebody was that honest with me in a, uh, in a counseling situation. But let's just say it happens because oftentimes that's, that's what you're getting at. But for whatever reason, that person, they just feel like giving up. And I imagine myself saying back to them, I say, listen, you cannot give up. You must hold fast your confidence to the end. And they say, well, why? I say, because you have a great high priest who has passed into the heavens and who is the son of God. I can just imagine that person looking back at me, giving me a blank stare and saying, yeah, so? And listen, here's the problem. If that doesn't encourage them to stay on and to stay steadfast, then they don't understand what it means. All right. Sorry, guys. I think my mic was was uh, was off for just a second because I was hoping that the the video clip I was playing from YouTube was going through. So hopefully was the video clip from YouTube. Actually, could you hear that as well? I'm still making sure I'm getting some of the sound right here. All right. So just let me know. Just say hello to everyone in the chat real quick. Um, all the admins in the chat, thank you for being here. really appreciate you uh, for being here. Um, I know that you may not be able to be here every night. That's fine as you come and go. Uh, just try to keep everybody on point. And uh, so the YouTube clip was low. Yeah, okay. I had it turned up full volume. I don't, I'm not sure how to adjust that, unfortunately. I'm going to have to keep working on it, I guess. But could anyone actually hear what he was saying? Okay, so Mr. Every Huber saying a little bit, could hear the clips, other people saying yes, but low. Yeah, I apologize. I, I'm going to have to try to figure out how to get the actual clips that I play a little bit louder um, without overwhelming uh, overwhelming the mic. So we'll work on it. But ultimately, I just wanted to show his excitement. But even in his excitement that he hopes that people can understand this verse, he has a unique interpretation of the verse where he says that, as he's replaying it in his in his anecdotal story, that we have a great high priest who's passed into heaven. But that's not what it says. It says passed through the heavens. So that's the part we want to really focus on tonight is it, it passed through, through he passed, Yeshua passed through the heavens when he ascended in Acts chapter one in front of the disciples. That's a huge deal. That's I mean, that's that's just a beautiful um 
it's a beautiful concept because when you pass through the heavens, that's a lot different than passing into heaven because sometimes people don't know what passing into heaven means. So what we're going to do is try to define the heavens as a term real quick so that we can see what does this even mean? How does it relate in the same verse with the writer of Hebrews in chapter four? He's he, why would he even mention the fact that Yeshua is our high priest and Oh, by the way, he passed into the heavens and that's, you know, you would think, oh, okay, what does that matter? Because for the people you, for a lot of people, they don't understand that there's an actual temple in heaven. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But how does this priesthood have to do with anything? Because a priesthood, someone that ministers in a temple, he didn't do that on the ground. So why would he need to do that in heaven? What's the point of him doing that in heaven? And why would this writer even mention the fact that he passed through the heavens to do his job of being our great high priest of whom we would confess to? So we're going to look at that tonight a little bit. And let me see if I can find this real quick, guys. All right. Shout out to Hanging on His Words. If you haven't already went and subscribed to our brother Ken's channel at Hanging on His Words, please go do so. He's an awesome brother and he makes great videos. And they're so great that he has done better than what I would attempt to explain with some of these verses that we're going to review tonight in a, in a video that he's made. So let's take a gander at that just real quick. Is a solid object. The firmament, or kia, is solid. The book of Jubilees similarly records in Jubilees chapter 2, verse 4. And on the second day, he created the firmament in the midst of the waters, and the waters were divided on that day. Half of them went up above, and half of them went down below the firmament that was in the midst over the face of the whole earth. And this was the only work God created on the second day. We're informed that the firmament structure that was created on day two was placed in the midst of the waters, the waters that were created a day earlier. As a result of the installment of this physical firmament barrier, half of the waters went up above, and half of them went down below. Once again, we see the usage of directional terms being applied to what took place. Water going up and water going down. Another fascinating parallel passage regarding the creation of the firmament can be found in the writings of Ezra, the prophet and priest. 2nd Ezra 6.41 says, Again, on the second day, you did create the spirit of the firmament and did command him to divide and separate the waters, that one part might move upward and the other part remain beneath. Did you notice how Ezra stated that God created the spirit of the firmament and also referred to the firmament by using a masculine pronoun? Although this may be for another video, I think it's important to note that the firmament is much more than just a solid vault. If it is indeed crafted from spirit, it may be more than just a lifeless object. Continuing on in 2nd Ezra's, it is he who searches the deep and its treasures, who has measured the sea and its contents, who has enclosed the sea in the midst of the waters, and by his word has suspended the earth over the water, who has spread out the heaven like an arch and founded it upon the waters. Now we see Ezra describing heaven as being spread out like an arch and founded upon the waters. How can this be? Isn't heaven an ethereal, interdimensional habitation located outside of time and space? 
Hardly. No! I'd like to highlight an often overlooked detail found back in Genesis 1 verse 8. Not only are we introduced to the firmament structure itself, but we are also acquainted with the name that Yahweh gave the firmament. Its name? Heaven. The Hebrew word for heaven is Shemaim, Strong's number 8064, and can be defined as heaven and sky. It's a word that is used hundreds of times in the scriptures. If we check its further usage in the text analysis, we can see that the word Mayim, which is derived from Shemaim, is used 17 times to refer to the heavens in the Hebrew scriptures. What's the significance? Strong's number 4325 which is also the word Ma'im, is defined as waters. Heaven, the name that was given to the firmament, has the concept of water built right into its name. How convenient, being that the firmament directly above our heads is holding up a sea of waters. Check out the following details that are recorded by Ezra in the rhetorical questions asked of him by an angel of God. 2 Ezra 4, 7-8 says, and he said to me, If I had asked you, how many dwellings are in the heart of the sea, or how many streams are at the source of the deep, or how many streams are above the firmament, or which are the exits of Sheol, or which are the entrances of paradise? Perhaps you would have said to me, I never went down into the deep, nor as yet into Sheol, neither did I ever ascend into heaven. The prior verses inform us that there are streams of water above the firmament of heaven, and did you notice that the angel speaks of heaven and the firmament interchangeably? We have a second witness in this next passage out of the prayer of Azariah. Azariah, also known as Abednego, being one of the three Hebrews that was cast into the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. Prayer of Azariah 1 verse 38 says, Bless Yahweh, all you waters above the heaven. Sing praise to him and highly exalt him forever. Jacob's son Levi records the following descriptions that he witnessed firsthand while being taken up in the spirit to where the Most High dwells. Then there fell upon me a sleep, and I beheld a high mountain, and I was upon it. And behold, the heavens were opened, and an angel of God said to me, Levi, enter. And I entered from the first heaven, and I saw there a great sea hanging. Levi confirmed that there is a great sea situated above the first firmament layer of heaven. Yes, the first heaven. Levi goes on to see a few other heavens in his fascinating book. Which leads me back to what I mentioned earlier in the video about the plurality of the heavens. In the beginning, more specifically on day one according to the account Moses scribed in Jubilees chapter 2, Yahweh created the firmament structures where he resides and then built the firmament that exists right above us on day two. Okay, okay, do you guys see all that? <laughs> Isn't that great? So this is, uh, this is just a beautiful explanation from scripture, both the Canon of 66, as well as the books that were taken out of the modern American Canon that are put in other Bibles around the world throughout time, uh, including books found amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls, all of them have the same consistent definition of what the word heaven is. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing, guys. It's beautiful. So, for example, let's get another verse that Ken didn't use in his broadcast. By the way, that's a that's the, 
one of his most popular videos, go to it. It's called the ferment on his channel, hanging on his words. And this is another passage here that is just amazing. It's in Deuteronomy 10, 14, but it, it's, it's Moses alluding to the understanding this concept of what heaven is as an actual structure with multiple layers. He says in verse 14, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, plural, praise him from the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all the hosts, praise him, sun and moon. I apologize, guys. I, that is not Deuteronomy 14, 10, 14. Um, uh, here it is. Sorry, guys. Sorry. That little faux pas. One second. Let me fix this. So this. Yeah, this is Psalm 1484. Yeah. You can see live mistakes. Isn't this awesome? All right. So Deuteronomy 1014. It is. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens. That's a plural, Shomayim, the earth and all that is in it. So this is this is Moses speaking and understanding this concept. Because if you have a highest heaven, there is an implication that there is something below it. And this is exactly what's described to us in Genesis 1, Jubilees chapter 2, um, also in Psalm 148.4, where we have the psalmist uh, repeating, almost repeating what was said in the prayer of Azariah. And that's that you would praise him in the highest heavens and the waters that are above the heavens. And that's the waters that the Testament of Levi um, speaks of as well, as well as Genesis 7, 1, right? You guys remember the flood? Remember how it says the floodgates of, of the heaven opened up the, and the water poured down in? That's because that's the water that was up there from day one and two when all that water was there. The multiple levels of the heaven were made on day one, but then on day two, the level that's directly above us was made. So there was still within the, that layer between the first, between the, the firmament layer over our head and the next firmament layer above that, there's this sea that's suspended, the sea that's hanging, if, if you will, if we give it the description from the Testament of Levi chapter three. And that's just a, a beautiful idea because that is why you don't see above when, you know, you, the stars that are behind it and the sun and moon that are behind it in that, in those levels. I personally think that, the the moon is in that watery level, but then the sun is in the third layer behind it. The stars, as uh, other apocryphal texts tell us, are in the fifth layer of the firmament. And of course, Yahweh is on the seventh, the top layer, as the most high. So that's why we see the distance between the sun, moon, and stars as we do when we look up. And that's why when we take like a P900 or a P1000, a high um, optical and digital, digital zoom camera, and you look at the actual stars, it looks like they're flickering in water because we're looking through water to see their light. It's beautiful. It's truly beautiful. So it's a man. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful concept to explain to someone, in my opinion, when you're trying to reveal to them, what does it mean that Jesus has through the heavens? Why in Acts chapter one, when the disciples are looking on with Jesus and he's raising up, and they're just staring and they keep staring and he's, and he comes out of sight and the angels got to show up to say, okay, you guys can disperse now. He's going to return in the way he left, but he's gone, you know? And, um, that's why instead of him, just poof, instead of just disappearing, right. He needs to literally ascend up because that's the direction where he was going. It's a, it's a very directional concept in scripture. And it, this is why we have this, this sentence with Jesus being, um, our high priest that passed through the heavens, multiple layers to get to the heavenly sanctuary, the heavenly temple that is a uh, that he has to minister in.
So let's read real quick. Uh, I'll just read again for everyone. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, or Yeshua, whoever you want to you want to say it, Yeshua of Nazareth is what we talk about a lot on here. Um, we understand the transliteration of how words translate to different languages and where we get the word Jesus. But I'm, we're, please don't, we don't want to make an issue of that. So let us hold fast our confession. So that means because he's the high priest, we're confessing to him. Uh, we, we've said, therefore, he's the one that would hear our confession. This is, this is an amazing concept. Now, personally, if you want to really dig into the nitty-gritty, I didn't really prepare the scriptures for it, but you definitely have a, a process of hierarchy. That's why he's in this Melchizedek order, and he's the high priest, the Kohan Gadol, as opposed to just a regular priest. So that means all the other priests, like the angels that are constantly around us to hear our prayers, would take our prayers to the high priest so that he can make atonement for us before the father. It's a process that's laid out in the scriptures. And that's why all this language is being used in the new Testament. Cause this is a process. The writers of Hebrews think that you already understand the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who already have read the old Testament. So the problem that we have, like that pa pastor was facing in his story, in his sermon is that he wants to talk to a guy over coffee and explain to him how we have this amazing high priest, but he's afraid that, the person he's talking to will say, what does that matter to me? How's that supposed to bolster my faith? How's that supposed to encourage me and give me hope and inspiration? What does it even mean? Because well, unfortunately we see a problem of so many churches not teaching the old Testament as something that's applicable to our lives. They just use it here and there for anecdotal stories, but they're not really showing you that. Look, the father's word to all these prophets in the old Testament was consistent with Yeshua's word to us from the father. It's the same message, the same story. And in fact, it's so much the same that the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, injects himself into that story as one of the most important characters ever. It's the high priest that makes confession atonement, or we, he receives our confession, makes atonement for us before the Father. Like, that's a huge deal. And so um, that's why it is saying at the very bottom here, but we have one that's meaning high priest. We have a priest who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Awesome. Amen. That's the, the beauty of our obedience unto death. Messiah, who's the son of God. So it says, therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the whole idea of drawing near with confidence is that we have a faithful high priest that he's going to receive our confession. And what does first John one nine say? Um, oh goodness. This is uh sorry guys. One second. I apologize. I'm get this. Get this taken care of. First John one nine says that we. Um, I guess I had a, a quick problem. Let me pull it up on on the main screen here. Most of you already know First John one nine, but we're going to read a couple passages around it as well. There we go. All right. Can y'all see this? There we go. So first John one nine here. Um, let's just start reading in verse five. It says, this then is the message we, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him, there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, as a quick caveat, guys, we've talked about this in our high priest video previously that these, these phrases that are referring back to the process of the Torah, the Torah does not allow for human sacrifice. Jesus did not, he does not um, 
literally take his blood that was spilt and splash it on the altar in heaven because God's door does not allow human blood on his altar. This is a turn of a phrase uh, metaphoric metaphorically using the things that happen in the obedience that led unto death by Yeshua into the process of animal sacrifice that's outlined in the Torah that a priest would perform to make atonement for people. So it says, as we have in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So this is kind of something to consider whenever you start hearing people talk about, um, Oh, you know, I'm a good person. Do I really need God? You guys have heard that before. Uh, and that's, yes, you do. You still do because we've all sinned. And let's go real quick to, let me change this. All right. So let's look at uh, another quick verse real quick. I'm going to check the comment comments in the chat and see how everyone's doing. Yeah, I know this Amber Bumpus, she's asking a question that we hear a lot because this is what Hebrews, again, the same book that we were just that we were reading from in Hebrews that talks about understanding the Old Testament. So you can understand the metaphorical application it's speaking about of Yeshua in application of his priesthood. So this is a common question, and I thank you for asking it, Amber, because a lot of churches will read this verse without actually breaking down for you the true process of the priest performing the sacrifices before the father and what that even means. So they think that he literally somehow took his blood that was spilt and then he took it into heaven with him and splashed it on, on things. So the metaphoric language of the sprinkling of his blood to, to cleanse the, the heavenly vessels, which is, I think is uh, actually going to be in part of a verse we're going to read in a minute. That is again, assuming you understand the metaphorical speaking about Yeshua in his priesthood role, comparing to, comparing his selfless sacrifice that led unto death, which is what qualified him after his resurrection to be given this role of the high priest. But nowhere in the actual instructions of a priest in a temple in the mercy seat or in the bronze altar, nowhere in any of those instructions is for human blood to be used. That would God does not condone any form of human blood. On in fact, there's all Leviticus 14 and 15. Anything with human blood makes you unclean, and therefore you have to you can't do temple service. You have to actually be stay away until you become clean again, depending on the circumstance. So it was only with the tamim blood of an animal. I know a lot of people like say, well, he was, he was tamim. He was without sin. So therefore his blood is clean. Nowhere in the father's Torah does he actually tell you that he accepts human blood in a sacrifice. That is paganism. So the idea that for you, for people that will take out of context from not understanding how the actual law works from the old Testament, they read that passage and many other, don't get me wrong. People take a lot of passages out of Hebrews greatly out of context and they misapply it and they turn it into a Catholic idea. So this is what Catholicism ran with when they started seeing that people were taking, taking these terms that we see in the new Testament, like first Corinthians five, seven, that he's our Passover, right? Speaking of Yeshua. So we, you didn't take the Passover and put it on the mercy seat. So which is it? Which sacrifice is he, right? Hebrews 53, um, excuse me, Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12, calls him a guilt sacrifice, which is very different from the Passover lamb sacrifice. 
And that's very different from the day of atonement sacrifice where you'd sprinkle any blood on the, on the mercy seat or actually take it inside the Holy of Holies. Three different comparisons of three different contexts of sacrifice in relation to the obedience of our great Messiah and high priest who was without sin. But anyone that understands the actual application of the law itself and how a priest would minister to the Father on behalf of preparing a, a, a meal for the, for, the, for the Father is not preparing that meal out of any human blood or human flesh. You see what I mean? So there's a great misunderstanding that has been propagated by Catholic doctrine, which we try to emphatically explain here in Kingdom of Context uh, that Catholic doctrine is not biblical doctrine. It's, it's, it's a wide variety of paganism mixed together, and it's great you know between gnosticism and actual paganism and straight up kabbalah it's all just mixed together and it's absolutely not scripture at all so this is why we love you know uh people that are wanting to come to christ we just want to give them as much as possible the true accurate definitions of words and terms and ideas that we have listed for us in abundance all throughout scripture so that's why this this passage here um can cause some people to misunderstand some ideas when they say, oh, wait a minute, he's cleansing. Uh, he's cleansing us with his blood. The only way that he can get to a point of cleansing us through his role as high priest is because his blood was perfect because of his obedience in his life. His obedience to the father was perfect. Remember when he said, my words are not my own. I, I say what the father tells me. I do what the father tells me. And, and uh, John chapter seven, but everything he did and said came from the Father, and that was what, even to the point of going unto death. That's why I said it's not my will, but if this is your will, I'll, you know, I would rather this cut pass from me. But this, I believe, in Matthew twenty-six. But he's saying, okay, your will be done, not my will be done. And so, therefore, he went through the process and was led off to the cross to suffer and die. But the beauty of that obedience, even unto death, led to his actual appointment of priesthood, which is what was prophesied of the Messiah. That was the part, that was the role of the Messiah. The father had intended for his son. So the father said, I'm going to send my son to the earth and he's going to become the great Melchizedek. And let's read about that verse real quick. So I'm going to bring this up on, on the screen and let's read that real quick for us. Okay, guys, this is Psalm 110. Verses one through four. It says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord will send forth the scepter of your power out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. With you is the principality in the day of your strength and the brightness of the saints. From the womb before the day star, I begot you. The Lord is sworn and he will not repent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at your right hand has broken kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among nations and he shall fill ruins. He shall crush the heads in the land of many. He shall drink of the torrent in the way, and therefore he shall lift up his head. All right. So the reason why it's talking about him sitting at the right hand of the Father, which we see that repeated in Hebrews and other places in the New Testament, is because that's mentioning his authority, right? Remember what the, what Yeshua tells us, Matthew 28, 19, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him by the Father. So the role and the purpose of the Messiah was that he would come to the earth, which means he comes down through the heavens. Remember, I think it's, Put it in the chat, guys, if you remember. Is it John 3.30 where Yeshua says, um, uh, no one has seen the Father yet except he who has descended from the Father, speaking of himself. So he's come down through the heavens once to be born of a woman, Mary. And then after being born of Mary, he becomes a man. He lives without sin. He Even to the point of obeying the Father into great persecution and being murdered on a cross. And then he's raised from the dead to be 
glorified, given the first fruits of the first resurrection body, so he can now live forever. And that body allows him to ascend through the layers of the firmament, because as Enoch chapter 15 tells us that men that are born on the earth, they're supposed to be on the earth. Men that are born by the spirit, they can exist in the heavenly realms above where we live under this firmament because they, they have a different chemistry, if you will, just like the angel of body, the bodies of angels, they have a different chemistry and they can exist above the firmaments and pass through and do, do, do their job. Right? So in order for Yeshua to get to that point, he had to be perfectly obedient. And that's what he accomplished, which is the greatest accomplishment in all of history of mankind, earning him this position as a high priest that he can now step into an order of which just means it's a, a priestly order. That's not, a part of the promise to Levi and his descendants on the earth. It's to a different order. It's the order, in my opinion, the order of the angels. And it's the order, which is why Hebrews chapter one tells us he's got a greater authority, a greater name than all the angels in heaven. That's why he's made the great high priest, a Melchizedek in the heavens above ministering in the temple above to the father. So this is a, just to me, it's like a beautiful, beautiful understanding. And this is actually what we see in some of this, language again in hebrews chapter 8 we'll read it real quick it says verse 1 through 5 now of the things which we have spoken this is the sum so basically he's trying to summarize everything he just talked about in the first seven chapters of hebrews we have such an a high priest who's set on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens and minister so think about this what he's just saying guys he's set at the throne of majesty many people think he just went up there and he his he didn't have to do it he doesn't have to do anything he just sits at the right hand of god like Psalm 110 says, until his enemies are made a footstool. So then he just sits there and does what? He's just sitting there for 2,000 years? No, he's a active high priest who ministers in the heavenly sanctuary. It's literally the next few phrases in this verse, in verse 1. He's a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. That's the one in heaven above. For every high priest is ordered to offer gifts and sacrifices. Exactly. They're repeating the requirements that were passed down to mankind, which is the same requirements they use in the tabernacle in heaven, that they have to bring gifts and sacrifices. So for every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it's necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer, speaking of Yeshua. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And that's through speaking of the, the mortals that are still here on the earth, um, especially during the time of Hebrews. This is before AD 70. So they were still you know, actively in the temple with the descendants of Levi offering the gifts on the earth. That's why it's explaining to the people in this day who's reading this letter when the temple is still active and the, they're still offering animal sacrifices as, as they do in heaven. This is after Yeshua's ascension and before the temple is destroyed in AD 70. Just like we read in Acts chapter 21 that... Paul is asked by the other disciples to go and complete a Nazarite vow at the temple and take his sacrifices with him to complete the vow. And he goes to do that. And that's where he actually gets arrested. The temple was operating in full swing. Levites offering animals and doing atonement sacrifices and all the feasts and everything that they kept. Right. So there, that's why he's the writer of Hebrews is explaining to the audience that we also have a high priest who's doing this in heaven on our behalf for us in the true tabernacle, not the copy in the shadow that was made in the ground. And that's what he goes on to say in four, verses four and five. He says, who serve, and he's speaking of the priests on the earth that are the priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, he said, see, say he, that you make all things according to the pattern showed to you in the mount. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry how, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. 
This is a beautiful idea, guys. Beautiful idea that is trying to explain to you that the tabernacle on the ground that Moses got the instructions to build was just patterning it off of what's called the true tabernacle in heaven above. And this is the one that Yeshua ministers in is the true tabernacle above. It's just a beautiful, beautiful story about our, our Messiah and the purpose of his priesthood and where his priesthood has taken place. So this is the part where I try to, you know, hopefully encourage people that when we actually, you know, look at the words that that we're reading in these scriptures, it's just vitally important to dig in and say, you know, what's the meaning of a word? So we know the meaning of heaven now, right? It's something that has multiple stories. It's a solid structure. It encompasses the atmosphere over us that was created on day two, but above it is this watery layer. Above that are other layers where the angels live and placed are the sun, moon, and stars. So the whole concept is that it's a huge structure that we live in. The sun descended down to our level, but then after he fulfilled his purpose and was glorified, he now has the physical chemistry in his body, in his resurrected body, to ascend back to the Father's level at the, as the most high on the highest heaven, as Deuteronomy 10.14 talked about, where the Father's tabernacle is, where it's where it's not a, a you know a shadow, where it's not um, where they're not playing right? Where it's the real deal, because that's what we needed this whole time. That temple above is what we needed to minister before us to the father, because Adam lost that ability to do that for mankind through his sin. This is why first Corinthians 15 verses 40 through uh, 39 through, I think it's 48 is the comparison between Yeshua as the last Adam Right, the first Adam messed up, but the last Adam was perfect. He's made of spirit. It's speaking of Yeshua's resurrected body. He's the one that can actually minister in this tabernacle above in this heavenly temple. He is the fulfillment of this new creation that is promised to mankind through the covenant that we would get this glorified resurrected body and be able to go into the presence of the Father above and actually hang out with the Father and the Son and all the angels. That's the, the beautiful glory promise of the covenant. This is why we're promised Nexus 19.5 and Revelation 24 through 6 and other places that we are made into this order of priesthood with Yeshua. So we'll be into the order of Melchizedek with Yeshua at our resurrection. That's the beautiful promise. Let's read real quick one more passage from Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll kind of get more explanation of this. So here it is. It says, for Christ has not entered in the holy places made without hands, which are in the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not, nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entering the holy place every year with the blood of others, for then must he have offered, he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world has he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So this is alluding to helping you understand the day of the Lord and the whole purpose of his priesthood. So again, it's it really hinges on expecting you to know the book of Leviticus and how the priesthood works. So this is metaphoric language of him. It's comparing his obedience, how he suffered in the earth, the obedience, so that he could offer himself, that was him his offering of obedience unto death, which resulted in him being killed on the cross. That was his offering so that he could attain this position of priesthood and actually minister atonement for us to bear our sins. This is the definition of bearing sin from a high priest, Leviticus 17.10 and uh, Numbers 21, 21.14, I believe. So it's, that's why it says, 
Um, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, after this the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, and unto them that to look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So this is talking, it's juxtaposing his first death, his priesthood, his second coming, he's saving the world, and it's not going to be about his priesthood the second time. As this is basically expounding on what we already read from Psalm 110, 1 through 4, where it starts off talking about how he's going to sit at the, at the on the throne with the Father until a certain time, until the day of the Lord, which is the day his enemies are made um, uh, are put under his feet, basically. And then he can come down and rat out the wicked, and as he will then be a high priest forever in the Melchizedek order, because he is now the ability to take away sin from us by raising us from the dead. Let me let me grab another scripture. I didn't prepare this, but let me grab another scripture for you real quick so you can know what I'm talking about. When I say the position of his priesthood allows him to take away sin for us forever by raising us from the dead and gives us an incorruptible body. So we see this in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, let me pull it over for you real quick. All right, so in Revelation chapter 3, can you guys see this? Let me see here. I'll highlight it a little bigger for you. It says... Um, and he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white. That's a, re a reference to the resurrection. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He is an ear. Let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So this is a priestly process. So what we just read there, him confessing the name, that's a part of the priestly process. So you remember in Leviticus 16, when the high priest on the day of atonement would confess the sins of Israel over the lamb. And then he would bring forth the petitions to the to the people of the people to the Father. That's a part of his priesthood. Of, that's what we read in 1 John 1 9, that he receives our confession. That's what we read in Hebrews 4 15, that he receives our confession. So therefore he knows us. And if he deems us worthy of eternal life, since he's the judge, he's a you know the most appropriate person to be the judge, he then, at the timing of his second coming, where he appears without reference to sin. He's coming to rule, to rat out the wicked, to raise the, the the dead in Christ to eternal life and induct them into this priesthood with him so they can help rule throughout the millennial reign. And that's the qualifier in that is that he is the priest that is able to determine who gets to be raised. And then he has the power to raise them, as he explains in John chapter five. And with that, he calls our names out before the father and the angels in heaven. And that's that's how we know who's going to be raised. So I imagine shortly after that is when we see Matthew 13, 30, where the angels are sent out to gather the wheat back into the barn, which is to be the us, the resurrected who are gathered into the new Jerusalem before the carnage of the wrath of the lamb actually begins. So this is a, just a beautiful, beautiful part of his priesthood that is so important and vital to us uh, because we are, we are dependent on this process that the father put in place that he prophesied from law from way back. I'm going to send my son. He's going to be perfect and blameless. He's going to be completely persecuted and murdered and treated horribly, but I'm going to glorify him and magnify him in the sight of the nations when he comes back the second time, because after he's killed the first time and raising from the dead, given an incorruptible body, he'll be the first fruits of the first resurrection so that he can be first in all things, first over the dead, first over the church, first over all creation. And then therefore he has his amazing new glorified body. He actually can be up here next to me in the heavenly tabernacle and minister to me, which simply means he's making a meal for the father. You guys remember in Leviticus chapter one, the burnt offerings, 
And what those are all about on the earth, we just burn them to Christ, and the, 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 the smoke ascends into the heaven. That's considered the burnt offering. Well, in the heaven, that's that's the portion the Father has. Does he eat the smoke or does he eat the actual animal? I honestly can't tell you, but I know that it says directly that's the Lord's portion as the burnt offering. So therefore, if we are if we are watching the priest in a temple on the earth bring forth animal sacrifices, and then according to the instruction of the sacrifices, part they were all just making a meal, right? If you look at what take a bird's eye view and look at what they were doing, they brought an animal, they slaughtered it properly, they trimmed it up properly, they put it on a cooking surface like a grill, even though it was a bronze altar and different things laid in the gold, and they had cooking utensils, right? The pan, the the the, the tongs, the forks, the pan, you know, holders, the things that can move the meat around. They cooked it, made sure that it was cooked the way they needed it to be. They had the oil. They had the sprinkling of the spices. They were, they had bread sometimes that they brought with them for grain offerings. They had some wine they brought for a drink offering. They're making a meal, guys. That's all it is. It's that simple. It's truly simple. They're making a meal. Priests were to make a meal for not just the priesthood themselves, but also it depends on what it was. If it was, if it was a Passover, they made it for the people, but also they're making a meal for the Father. It's just a meal. It's the whole process of a priesthood and a temple and sacrifices. It's not a scary thing. It's not a horrible thing. Since the beginning, the Father has intended for animals to be a part of this purpose. That's why since the beginning, some have been labeled as clean and some as unclean. Because from the beginning, in heaven, there's a temple where this stuff has been taking place, where meals have been made for the priesthood of the heavenly angels. That same priesthood of angels that Hebrews 1 tells us Yeshua was granted authority over them. Like he says in Matthew 28, he's been given all authority in heaven and earth. So before he became incarnate, as he tells Pilate in John chapter 18, he says, it's right that you say I'm a king, for my kingdom is not of this world. I think it's verse 38. So he was already a king in heaven. Now he comes down. He you know, humbles himself to come down, to be born of a woman, to go through this life, to be persecuted and extremely faithful, unwavering in his faithfulness to the Father, yet persecuted unto death, to be granted a position of rulership in a priesthood. And this is what is prophesied. In Zechariah chapter 6, let's go there real quick. No, no, sorry. It's, um, um, I'm sorry, guys. One second. It's not Zechariah chapter 6. I'm, I'm going blank. It is Zechariah chapter 6. I shouldn't have doubted myself. One, <laughs> one second. All right, here we go. Zechariah chapter 6. This is what was prophesied. Remember, he was a, he was a king first. He became a uh, high priest next. So when he goes back to heaven, he's still going to be the, the king of heaven returns. This is Psalm 24. Lift up your gates, O ancient gates. Open up and lift up your eyes and see the king of glory returns. Right? This is the father, This is the son coming back to his kingship in heaven. But now he's been given authority as a priest as well. And that's a priesthood that's going to be over the angels and over all of mankind so that he can do what needs to be done to make atonement for those who sin. And so this is the prophecy that we see listed out for us in Zechariah chapter 6, 11 through 15. He says, then, then take silver and gold, make crowns, and set them up on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and the high priest, and speak unto him, saying, Thus saith, speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. Um, and the Septuagint actually says the east, so that's interesting. 
uh, because it's, it fits better with prophecies in Numbers chapter 24. And he says, he shall grow out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Even he shall build the temple of the Lord and he shall bear the glory. And guys, here's here's that terminology again, the temple and bearing the glory. Bearing the sins of people means that you are righteous enough to take on the sins of other people and vouch for them and say, I know that they've messed up, but since I haven't messed up, I'm vouching for them. And I'm asking, Father, that you overlook their mistake because I haven't made a mistake and I'm vouching for them. This is the purpose of a priest when they do bearing the sins of the people. And it says, and he shall sit and rule upon his throne and he shall be a priest upon his throne and the council of peace shall be between them both. Saying that he should be both a king and a priest. This is what we see of Yeshua in prophets, uh, fulfilled in the New Testament. And the crowns shall be to the Halim and the Tobijah and the Jadeh, and to the hen, the son of Zephaniah, for a memorial in the temple of the Lord. And they that are far off shall come and build in the temple of the Lord. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you, and it shall come to pass if you will diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. So this is a, a beautiful explanation here of the overall purpose of the king of heaven who came to the earth to attain a priesthood. Because why? Because what we said, what we read in um, first Psalm 110, verse 3 and 4, that he will rule among the nations. And that was not just a king's job, but also a high priest's job. This was what Aaron was a, a ruler of the people. So it was Moses and Aaron. There's that dual dichotomy of the same concept that we just read from the prophecy in Zechariah 6. You have like Moses who's likened to a king of Jeshurun, a king of, of Israel, well, so the high priest Aaron, who's given a crown because he rules also. So between the two of them, they're a great typology of the fulfillment of our Messiah, both king and high priest. Let me say, all right, guys, let me check the chat real quick. Um, see if everyone, how everyone's doing with all this. <laughs> let me see here. All right. You guys, let me see if we have any uh, questions in the chat that I can address. I'm going to scroll back up a little bit. All right. Looks like we had a question. It says, would you please? Oh, that's just David asking people to put things in all caps. Um, Uh, Crazy Talk was asking, one thing he's always wrestled with is, how could he have existed prior to human existing? Was he just a spirit being before? Uh, brother, I would encourage, go check out our milk and meats, because without going into an hour-long explanation for you, uh, we actually explained the bodies of angels and why angels were recreated. It's in a few episodes back, about two or three weeks ago, in our Meek and Milk playlist, okay? Meek, uh, excuse me, uh, Milk and Meat playlist. So go check that playlist out on our channel. We actually go over that in great detail with lots of scriptures to explain to you the difference of an actual spiritual body compared to one made of flesh like Adam, right? And there's a difference. And so that that's, that he existed just like the angels existed, right? He just had a different physics of body. So go check that out. We give you a lot of scriptures to explain that, and that'll help you with understanding. So let me see here. Um, see if there's any other questions we can tackle real quick. Yes, he's the firstborn of the resurrection. As Andy Penny's talking about, this is what uh, 1 Corinthians 15 tries to explain to you, verses 20 through 25, that he is the firstborn of the resurrection. We're going to follow suit afterwards on the day of the Lord, and we're going to get that same body he got uh, on the day of the Lord at the great resurrection of the saints. But for now, he's the only one that has it among mankind. Um, let's see if there's any other questions I can see. Kingdom of Truth is asking, is the podcast a daily thing now? Monday through Thursday, brother, 9 o'clock, Mountain Standard Time. I'm going to be doing the podcast. 
and tackling fun topics as well as random questions. So thanks for joining us. All right. I don't know. Let me see here. Christ. All right. So XP is, is sounds like he's asking a question that he was formed from a Trinitarian point of view. And we get this a lot. So it's very common. Um, it's going off John chapter one, verse one, the word was with God and was God. So how can Jesus be created? Right. So this is where we always try to remind folks to look at the definition of the word God, Elohim. What does it mean? It has a definition like all other words do. And you see it used for a variety of things, not just the father, but also the son and also the angelic beings in heaven, all the spiritual beings. Okay. So the word was with the Elohim and the word was Elohim. It's a, it's a, a um, signifier of the type of chemistry you have in the creation. If I could put it like that, this is why the angels are also referred to Elohim. You guys remember um, XP, go check out Psalm 45 verse six and seven. And that's a, it's a passage where the father is actually telling I did a whole video on this on morning cup of context. It's called God called Yeshua God question mark. How can God call Yeshua God? seems crazy, right? Psalm 45, six and seven is what's prophesied of this. So this is where it, it tells you his role, right? That the, uh, the word God is the word Elohim. But when we look at the use of it in context, it's also the use for a father. This is why we see the idea blended together in Isaiah 9, 6 about him becoming a father to the people and, and being the mighty God, because he is given this resurrection body, which is an Elohim body, and he's going to be the ruler of the people. So he is God to us, but yet the father is his God, just like he tells us in John chapter 20. So you just have to understand the actual use of the word God in the context is being used. And that's what trips up a lot of people, especially it just, it becomes a, a fuel source for Trinitarian arguments, basically. All right. So I think someone, uh, it looks like Aaron Hutchison has a question real quick saying any biblical references to women being female when resurrected says we will be like the angels. Does this do be a female angel? Obviously not a big issue. Just interest. Absolutely. Uh, Aaron, I think that's your name. I'm sorry. It's M. I apologize. M Hutchison. So absolutely. Let's look at it real quick. It's in Isaiah. I believe it's in. Make sure I can find it real quick. In short, I'm going to find you that's your scripture, but in short, yes, you're, you're resurrected back to your original gender. Even though you're not going to marry, it's fine. You're still going to be back to your original gender. You're not going to, we're not going to be androgynous and, and everyone's not going to be resurrected as a male. Um, right. So in Isaiah 40, 22, let me go to this real quick. All right, let me screen share for you, everyone. So we have here in Isaiah 40, 22, this is actually speaking to the new Jerusalem and how she's going to be filled with children at the resurrection. So these two, these three passages, just real quick, say the children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in your ears, this place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. And then you will say in your heart, who has begotten these for me? 
since I've been bereaved of my children and am barren in exile and a wanderer. And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone from where did these come from? This is what Isaiah 66, uh, verse 7 through 9 talks about, the whole nation born in a day. It's at the resurrection. And verse 22 says, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standards to the peoples. That's Yeshua and uh, the New Jerusalem coming. And they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on their shoulders. And this is what we see, I was talking about earlier, the angels that are sent out, Matthew 13, 30 and other places, the angels that are sent out to actually gather the resurrected saints and bring them to the New Jerusalem and fill the New Jerusalem on the at the very beginning of the day of the Lord at the last trumpet as Yeshua is descending with the battle angels to rout out the wicked. So this is the the beautiful uh, promise that, but yes, both men and men and women, sons and daughters will be carried into uh, the new Jerusalem. Hope that helps. All right. So let me check. Um, I got some additional questions being sent to me. Let me see real quick. We have another question asking, uh, DC talks to Toroth. I think DC talks to Roth is asking, when do you see that Yeshua was brought forth from the Father? Well, I actually read one of those scriptures earlier. So let me, I'll go back to it real quick and look at it. All right. So here in Psalm 110, if we look here in verse two and three, it's actually verse three. It says, From the womb before the day star, I begot you. And this is a, a quick allusion to that. This is someone that is brought forth before anything else was created. It was Yeshua was brought forth from the Father. Guys, that's why Yeshua spoke of the Father and said that he's greater in John 10. I think it's verse 32. So because the Father's first, this is how the terminology of Father and Son works. This is this is why Trinitarianism is so disingenuous to the argument, because they just ignore the meanings of words, you know? So the Father's first, and a father brings forth the Son. So this is this is that's why the language is used. There's not two fathers. It's not a, a, a strange sitcom episode from San Francisco of my two dads, right? It's This is one father who brings forth his son for an intended purpose, and this happens before anything else is created. Um, and in fact, we see an a, a allusion to this, and I'm going to look this up real quick, um, in the book of Enoch, and I believe it's in chapter 48. An allusion to this as well as it, as it explains Yeshua being brought forth. Let me go to it real quick. Okay, let me bring this over to screen share. All right, so it says, In that place I saw a fountain of righteousness which was inexhaustible, and around it were many fountains of wisdom, and all the thirsty drank of them and were filled with wisdom. Their dwellings were with the righteous and holy and elect. And at that hour, that Son of Man was named in the presence of the Lord of spirits, and his name before the head of days, yea, before the sun and the signs were created, before the stars of heaven were made, his name was named before the Lord of spirits. He shall be a staff to the righteous, wherein to stay themselves and not fall. He shall be a light to the Gentiles excuse me, the light of the Gentiles and the hope of those who are troubled of heart and all who dwell on earth shall fall down and worship him and will praise and bless and celebrate with songs, the Lord of spirits. And for this reason, he has been chosen and hidden before him before the creation of the world and forevermore. And so there, it just goes on to explain. It's a beautiful chapter. If you've never read uh, Enoch 48, I highly encourage it. It's a beautiful chapter. It just explains a lot. Um, yes, he's created before anything else. It brought forth before the father. So, don't let Trinitarians bully you with the wording of the of being created. It doesn't 
diminish the divinity of Yeshua or his deity. It doesn't diminish his priesthood or the work that he did on the cross. It, they just need to know the actual story. And that's what they reveal with a lot of their arguments is they just don't know the actual story of what was the role and purpose of the Messiah to come. And so, all right, we have another question real quick that's asking, what, um, what are the sacrifices in heaven? There is flesh and blood. And this is Torah Bear asking that. Um, I think something else is, is my wife has circled something else with there. You'll have to tell me if you meant for me to address something else other than just Torah Bear's question. But it says, what are they sacrificing in heaven? There is flesh and blood, question mark. What are they sacrificing in heaven? Um, what are they What did the father tell mankind on the ground to sacrifice? Was it people? No. Specific animals that were created for this purpose. There's a temple in heaven. There's a whole priesthood in heaven. There's things going on in heaven. The same way that it was the same, the real true tabernacle of which we mimicked and shadowed on the ground to do here on the, on the ground through Moses and Aaron. That, that was the a copy of what's going on up above. So we just read in Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 5. So that therefore everyone who's there must bring forth the sacrifice, must bring forth the gift. That's what that's what we were just reading. Let me show you real quick again. This is for every high priest who's ordained. Let me hang on, let me change this so everyone can see a little bit better. It says now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who set up the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Those, those definitions aren't any different. You guys remember in uh, the Garden of Eden when Adam was created, everything was in the garden and it was there was animals in the garden. And as we read in Jubilees 2, I think it's in verse 24, the animals were kicked out of the garden when Adam got kicked out of the garden. And you remember, I, uh, I don't know if you guys remember from our milk and meat from two weeks ago where we talked about uh, the Bi heaven's Bible given to Enoch and, and Jacob. And I go through all the scriptures that explain that Adam was ministering inside this temple in the Garden of Eden and the scriptures that, that talk about that and reveal that. And that's he was even to the last day before he got kicked out of the garden. So to do that, you have to have an animal. That's how he came out of the garden. He would know how to teach Cain and Abel about animal sacrifices, which they were bringing forward. Guys, Hinduism is a demonic religion and it has brought forward a lot of, of theology into Christianity, Christian churches in America, not just through yoga. That's just a, an offshoot of it, but also with this concept of veganism, the idea that it's harmful and it's evil somehow to, to use an animal for food that the father set that up as an institution that he follows in heaven from the beginning. And if you read, like, for example, when we, even when we see his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, that Yeshua rules over his king, come down to the earth as a new Jerusalem after the day of the Lord, I'll go to the scripture real quick for you. Even when we get to that point and we start to see that, we're going to see sacrifices being done in the New Jerusalem. And this is something that the Father is excited about because he'll have, he'll have resurrected people that are pure in heart with the incorruptible body that have no stain of sin that can actually bring sacrifices before him, which is a meal, a covenant meal that he, we can bring before him in the New Jerusalem that he actually accepts. And this is what he's talking about here in Isaiah 56. It says, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, and the name better than that of sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. 
That's, again, an allusion to your authority under this priesthood with Yeshua. Also, the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant. And even those I will bring to my holy mountain and I make them joyful in my house of prayer so that their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Guys, this this is why we we do. I'm gonna put this. Uh, I'm put this in the chat. This is why you always see me doing this hashtag on our social media posts. It's the eternal Torah, guys. This is the, the the behavior of the Father, which is generically in Hebrew called the Torah. The instructions that He gave to mankind. It's the same instructions that He follows Himself. This is Psalm one nineteen one through three. They're not going away. He does not change. The same instructions. So all those instructions that were given to the Levites to make animal sacrifices, to bring meals, prepare them in a specific way with specific ingredients under certain conditions with a certain altar, with a certain heart, all those conditions are kept in heaven by the Father, the Son, and His angels. That's their way of existence. It's the Father having a wonderful meal with the Son and the angels, and He wants us to emulate that. And so we get to the point of the fulfillment of covenant through the Yeshua's priesthood, to where we can actually participate that in heaven. That's why in Leviticus 18.5, he says, I've given you my statutes so that you may practice them. And that's part of our discipleship. So, and we see this a lot. Um, and you have to look at the context of, of why these statements are being made in Isaiah and in 1 Samuel 15. There was apostasy happening. Right, so there was there was transgression happening. There was people that were not doing the behavior of the father, and they were thinking that they could just do sacrifices and make him happy. And so the father's like, "In fact, I would rather you obey me. I prefer your obedience over the sacrifices." But at the same time, if you look at the context of the Torah, part of the obedience to the father is to actually do sacrifices through a priesthood at the appointed times that are that are listed out, because that's the father's behavior. That's his his uh, the way he likes to do things. The creator of all this. You see what I'm saying? So this is why it's so important to understand the context of passages. Um, let me see here. Let's see if there's anything else. I was looking for another one here. And I'm going to have to end the live stream soon. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. David Shearer, um, he's put up our video where we talk about the priest of Yeshua in comparison with Leviticus and Numbers and 1 Corinthians a little bit more. And I'm kind of giving a broad overview tonight. Um, XP is asking... So what is the status and role of the Holy Spirit? Well, put in the comments, XP, or anyone else. What do you think the status and role of the Holy Spirit is? And I'm not being like rhetoric, rhetorical, you know. I mean, I'm not I'm not being tongue in cheek. I'm I'm serious. Like, what do you, because we have a ton of scriptures that tell us what the Spirit is. Um, and I'm just wondering what where you're coming from with your question. Like, what do you think? Because Catholic Trinity. Uh, that Trinitarian doctrine teaches that it's an actual person, even though it's never mentioned, that it's an actual person standing in heaven next to the throne of God. But they never truly, you know, they can't give you single verse that says shows you that this Holy Spirit has a body. You see what I'm saying? Because they also have a very Gnostic idea of what the Spirit of God is, how it moves on the earth. You see what I mean? So they have this idea of that it's non-tangible. I mean, like it's a whiff, like it's a cloud, like the father, like the, you know what I'm saying? It's, they don't understand that spiritual beings have tangible bodies. 
This is how there's a tangible temple in heaven. This is how tangibly those spiritual beings are going to come down through the firmament. They're going to pass through the heavens down on the day of the Lord with Yeshua to fight tangible humans on the earth. You see what I'm saying? So it has to, we have to shed a lot of this Christian doctrine that has just been carried over from Catholicism that is not scripture. So when it comes to the actual Holy Spirit himself, yes, he's the comforter. And yes, he moves. It's the animating spirit that, that moves in all things. It's already in all things in, in, in the world. But at the same time, it's not, it doesn't have nowhere in scripture or any of the apocryphals that we've ever read. Have we seen a description of the Holy Spirit in the Trinitarian fashion where they claim that he's got a body, he's up there chilling with the father and they're all, you know, triequal and triune and all that stuff. That's, that's not what the script, the Hebrew scriptures say. That's not what the Greek scriptures say. Um, so that's where it's a doctrine we have to really look at and see what's going on there because the spirit of God himself, the spirit of God itself is used as a power that flows from God to mankind to enact things, to do stuff, to get things accomplished. And so this is, it's like a, it's like the internet. It's like ether, right? It's like your Wi-Fi, um, but much more powerful, obviously, because it could create the ferment and all of creation. So it's a, it's an animating and creating force that he can extend from himself that comes from within the father. And that the, and that uh, Acts chapter two, verse 33 and 34, or excuse me, 32 and 33 says Yeshua now has access without limits to the spirit of God. And that's the beauty of his priesthood as he gets that. So, um, all right, guys, let's look, see if I, I'm going to take one more question and then I'm going to have to uh, step out for tonight because we've had a, and it's going to be, it's going to be a, a challenge for me to keep these to 30 to 40 minutes. Uh, Cause I love talking about scripture. My wife just laughs at me when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make these like 20, 30 minutes. She just laughs at me. So it's going to be a challenge guys. Um, let me see here. If I can find another quick question. I really appreciate everybody being here tonight. We're going to ask questions and hopefully everything you're saying, the scriptures I'm reading, you go back and you'll read the whole chapters in these scriptures and you'll test what I'm saying. And uh, hopefully that'll be, that's how we, that's how we learn. You know, that's how we dig in and learn. Um, all right, real quick. I'm trying to trying to weed through some of this real fast to make sure I'm not jumping into a conversation already being in heaven. Looks like uh, Russell Floor is asking a question. Thanks for joining us tonight, brother. He says, question, how can it be true that Jesus created all things if he was one of the created things? Did he not create all things? Just curious as how you tackle that one. But again, like, like we would do the context of every passage you read, we can't take one verse and make it a, you know, a proof text for all other verses, right? Because we have to balance a statement in the context that's being set in with all the other ones that talk about the same topic or the same idea. So um, just as in, if you're talking about the Romans 14 passage or the Colossians one passage, even if you talk about the Colossians one passage, he was, you know, firstborn of all creation and then all things are created by him, for him and through him, you know, you know what I'm saying? So even in that passage, you have a, an order of hierarchy of, of, things that happened. And like I went over the passages earlier, um, I think that was eight minutes ago was your, was your question. So maybe you were asking that while I was explaining the scriptures that talk about how Yeshua came forth from, from the father before anything else was created. So that's how the reference of all things, meaning all things that we see and experience within the creation model of Genesis one in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Those are the all things. So if Yeshua was brought forth before all that, well then, there's, you know, that's, that's how we put those two together to find the context of the order of events. So 
I hope that hope that helps a little bit, brother. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate you. Everyone is awesome. Uh, please, if you have a chance, go visit uh, go visit Kingdom Cast and subscribe to that. Help us get up to a thousand subs so we can live stream from that secondary channel. And if you want some uh, informed believers news, we've started New Jerusalem Media. So go subscribe to that channel as well. We'd love to see you over there. And um, I try to drop new articles every day, both on the website, newjerusalemedia.com, and then to make the videos as fast as I can to keep up with the articles on the website that I share on social media. So it's it's just so fun, guys. Uh, Kingdom Cast, Bobby Mo, Yeah, that's a secondary channel I started. It's in the video description. Go subscribe over there so that I can start live streaming these podcasts from that channel. YouTube doesn't let you live stream from a new channel unless you have a thousand subscribers. So that's why I'm trying to build up that other channel to at least a thousand so I can live stream from over there. And then um, other than that, guys, everyone's awesome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for asking questions. Thanks for keeping the fruit of the spirit. And remember, this podcast is dedicated that we seek knowledge, wisdom, understanding of the world and his word so that we can better relate his word to this world. So thanks for joining us. Appreciate everybody. We'll see you next time.